Willkommen bei Orphan Entertainment, dem Podcast, der sich der Aufklickung und den Verschlossen Medien widmet. Ich bin dein Gestürber Christopher und bei mir ist die immer Lydia. Guten Tag. <laughs> <laughs> Literally the only and, thing I know how to say. <laughs> and I will apologize to anyone that actually speaks German because I know I garbled <laughs> a good portion of that. <laughs> you did better than I did. <laughs> For those of you who don't, that is Welcome to Orph Entertainment, the podcast ded dedicated to public domain and abandoned media and of course we are your hosts christopher and lydia so lydia thank you very much for joining me once again thank this you. is going to be a fun uh discussion i believe <laughs> we'll see <laughs> <laughs> i want to thank everyone for tuning in and remind everybody that you can subscribe to the show in uh, through apple podcast or itunes whatever you want to call it stitcher radio or google play And, of course, I encourage you to please rate and review at any of those outlets if that option is available. You can join our Facebook group. Go to Facebook.com and search for Orphan Entertainment. And if you have any feedback or anything, you can send that to OrphanEntertainment at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or any past episodes you may have listened to. And, of course, any future episodes that may come down the line. We also have a YouTube channel where you can watch a lot of the films that we have covered here on Orphan Entertainment. So you can subscribe to that, and you'll be uh, right up on things. You'll, you'll know as soon as anybody what we're going to cover, even before us. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and take a little break and listen to a five-minute mystery and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we're going to visit The Blue Angel. Another five-minute mystery. show, Pete. At 5.50 a seat, it had to be. There you go about money again. Uh, why not? If I had it, we'd be married by now. We can't wait for my uncle to die, to inherit his estate. I'm sorry, Margaret. No bank account, no marriage. Pete, if I get some money, will you do as I ask? Maybe. But how are you going to get your hands on any? Never mind how. I'll get it. Hey there, Miss Talbot. You sound grim. What are you going to do? Get a dowry for my marriage. <laughs> Hello? This is Graham. Uh, Mr. Graham, this is Inspector Todd, police. Police? What's the matter? I'll have to ask you to come down to my office at headquarters. Your fiancé's uncle has been killed in an automobile wreck. Good heavens, of course. I'll be right down. Pete. Oh, Pete, it's horrible. Uncle Mike. I know. Now, please, Margaret, stop crying. I'm Inspector Todd, Mr. Graham. Do you have a chair, please? Oh, thank you. Now, uh, about the rag. I've already told you about the car going off a cliff. I knew something would happen to him with that new English car of his. He's just learning how to drive it. We have evidence that points to murder, Miss Talbot, not an accident. Murder? Yes. Our investigation proves that the steering wheel of the car was tampered with. The wheel broke on a treacherous stretch of road about a mile from your house, Miss Talbot. It was a clever scheme. A completely fiendish one. I agree. 
Miss Talbot, I'd like very much to question Mr. Graham alone. Would you wait outside for a moment, please? Of course. I'll uh, put my cards on the table, Mr. Graham. I believe that your fiancée killed her uncle by fixing that wheel. But she couldn't have done it. She's innocent, I tell you. Well, why are you so certain? Because... Because I loosened the wheel. You? Yes. I decided to do it last night. We were sitting in the car in the garage, and we were talking about the future. Pretty soon, I had my arm around Margaret, and I thought how swell it would be if we could get her uncle's money and marry. Which um, arm did you put around her? Well, the right one, of course. What else when I'm sitting at the wheel? After I took her to the house, I came back and did it. Now, please, let Margaret go home. I'm afraid I can't do that. Your uh, imaginary confession, despite its nobility, completely absolves you from the crime. Your fiancé tampered with that wheel, not you. And I'm holding her for murder. What slip did Pete Graham make in his confession to Inspector Todd? In just a moment, we'll know. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this, like, little nerd glee with everything that kept popping up. Little history doll popping up at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. And now, back to our story. Your confession fell apart completely, Mr. Graham, when you told me that you had placed your right arm around her while you were at the wheel. Since the uncle's car was of an English make, as Miss Talbot pointed out, the steering wheel is at the right of the car, making the arm position you described impossible. No, Mr. Graham, your motive does you credit, much more so than your storytelling. I uh, wanted you to convince me of a few details. Your confession proved your innocence and her guilt. Angel is Germany's first talking picture, produced in 1930. It stars Emil Jannings as Professor Emanuel Rath and Marlena Dietrich. It is based on Henrik Mann's 1905, uh, 1905's novel, Professor Unrat, or Professor Garbage. <laughs> the film was shot simultaneously in German and English language. 
Uh, this apparently was pretty common practice of major studios in the early sound era, giving the desire of the studios to be able to sell their films in multiple international markets. The English language version was thought lost for years until a print was discovered in a German film archive and restored. It had its U.S. premiere in San Francisco in 2009, so I couldn't wow. find the exact date when it was uncovered, but I get the impression it was thought lost for decades. Mm-hmm. So that's real interesting. We're real, we're very lucky to have the English version yeah, here. Absolutely. Marlena Dietrich's performance as Lola Lola brought her international fame and a contract with Paramount Pictures. Dietrich starred in Hollywood films such as Morocco in 1930. Uh, again, in which Dietrich was cast as a cabaret singer. And that film was best remembered for the sequence in which she performs a song dressed in a man's white tie and kisses another woman, both rather racy for the time. The film earned Dietrich her only Academy Award nomination. She went on to do uh, Shanghai Express in 32 and Desire in 1936. She successfully used her glamorous persona and exotic looks to become one of the highest paid actresses of the time. Dietrich was noted for her humanitarian efforts during World War II. She often housed German and French exiles and even provided financial support and even advocated for their U.S. citizenship. For her work on improving morale on the front lines during the wars, she actually ended up receiving several honors from the United States, France, Belgium, and Israel. Wow. Very interesting. Very. Uh, back to more into her Hollywood life, she was... Uh, lured away from Paramount to make her first color film, The Garden of Allah, in 1936, by David Oselznik, for which she received $200,000, which, like we've said before, that's good money for the 30s. Yeah. And then she again was uh, lured to Britain for Alexander Korda's production, Night Without Armor, in 1937. For that, she got $450,000. While both films performed okay at the box office, they were very costly to produce, obviously, and her public popularity had already begun to decline. By this time, Dietrich placed 126th in box office rankings, and American film exhibitors proclaimed her box office poison. Wow. It's amazing how fast she kind of rose and fell, because we're just talking within like a decade. Yeah, definitely. Now, while she was in London uh, working on the uh, Alexander Quarter film, officials of the Nazi party approached Dietrich and offered her lucrative contracts should she agree to return to Germany as a film star in, in the Third Reich. She refused their offers and immediately applied for U.S. citizenship. She returned to Paramount to make uh, a film called Angel in 1937, which was a romantic comedy. That film was poorly received, uh, leading Bi- Paramount to buy out the remainder of D- Dietrich's contract. Wow, interesting. In 1939, she accepted an offer to play the cowboy saloon girl, Frenchie, yeah. in the Western comedy... Uh, Destry Rides Again. <laughs> yeah, opposite uh, Jimmy Stewart. This was significantly less well-paid role than she had become accustomed to, but the body role revived her career... And See What the Boys in the Back Room Will Have, a song she introduced in the film, became a hit when she recorded it for uh, Decca Records. She played similar types in Seven Sinners in 1940 and The Spoilers in 42, both opposite John Wayne. In the late 30s, Dietrich created a fund with Billy Wilder and several other Germans to help Jews and dissidents escape from Germany. In 37, her entire salary for Night Without Armor, which was like the 450 grand, was put into escrow to help the refugees. 
In 39, she became an American citizen, like I said before, and renounced her German citizenship. And when the U.S. entered World War II, Dietrich became one of the first celebrities to help sell war bonds. She toured the U.S. from January 1942 to September 43, and is reported to have sold more war bonds than any other celebrity. During two extended tours for the USO in 44 and 45, she performed for Allied troops in Algeria, Italy, the UK, and France, then went into Germany with Generals James M. Gavin and George S. Patton. When asked why she had done this, in spite of the obvious danger of being within a few kilometers of German lines, she replied, and uh, I'll say this in English instead of the German, she says, out of decency. Billy Wilder later remarked that she was at the front lines more than Eisenhower. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> in 1944, the Morale Operations Branch of the Office of Strategic Services, or the OSS, initiated the MUSAC Project, musical propaganda broadcast designed to demoralize enemy soldiers. Dietrich, the only performer who was made aware that her recordings would be used, recorded a number of songs in German for the project, including uh, Lily Marlene, a favorite of soldiers on both sides of the conflict. She received the Medal of Freedom in November of 1947 for her quote-unquote extraordinary record entertaining troops overseas during the war, and she said that this was her proudest accomplishment. Uh, she was awarded the Légion d'Honneur of the French government for her wartime work as well. Although she still made occasional films after the war, Dietrich spent most of the 1950s to the 1970s touring the world as a live show performer. Dietrich's show business career largely ended on September 1975 when she fell off the stage and broke her thigh oh. during a performance in Sydney, Australia. And her final on-camera appearance was a cameo role in Just a Gigolo in 1979, which starred uh, David Bowie. And she sang the title song for that one. Interesting. On May 6, 1992, Dietrich died of renal failure at her flat in Paris at the age of 90. So, good long life. Yeah. Dietrich's funeral service was attended by approximately 1,500 mourners in the church itself, including several ambassadors from Germany, Russia, the U.S., and the U.K., as well as a few other countries. And there was thousands more outside. Three medals, including France's Legion of Honor and the U.S. Medal of Freedom, were displayed at the foot of the coffin, military style, for a ceremony symbolizing the sense of duty Dietrich embodied in her career as an actress and in her personal fight against Nazis. Or Nazism, I should say. The officiating priest remarked, Everyone knew her life as an artist of film and song, and everyone knew her tough stands. She lived like a soldier and would like to be buried like a soldier. After the fall of the Berlin Wall, Dietrich instructed in her will that she was to be buried in her birthplace of Berlin near her family. Her body was flown there to, f to fulfill her wish. Oh, pretty extraordinary woman. Yeah, very extraordinary. Uh, it was interesting that her film career, like I said, just really just skyrocketed and then kind of came down almost as quickly. Mm -hmm. But she was certainly not, she's not one of these uh, stars that we see this happen and then we find out about all this <laughs> horrible and she's destitute and living in you know in the, in the sewer right exactly i mean she still had a fantastic career well, I mean, there was some darker elements of her life i think mm -hmm. there was issues with some al alcoholism and maybe some uh, uh maybe uh, drugs due to um you know, painkillers and things like that as well um but in the end she still lived to be 90 mm -hmm. so 
you know, good honor. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, it's interesting that she kind of made her name by playing a showgirl in movies and then yeah. ended up continuing her life kind of it obviously not strictly as a showgirl but you know as a live performer that's really interesting that it kind of went in that direction yeah i think uh, that i read she even uh, was on broadway for a while and even won a tony award so yeah a fantastic career and a very interesting woman so yeah it's really neat to kind of see i mean in this film uh, the blue angel is really the film that wasn't her start but gave her the international um um what's the word i'm looking for recognition yeah <laughs> well and interesting i didn't realize this was the first german talkie so it it makes yeah. sense that this would be the one that would kind of launch her yeah i suppose so i read somewhere i didn't put it in the notes but i remember reading that when she auditioned for the role she really didn't think she was going to get it and so she didn't put any real effort into it she was almost <laughs> just kind of like oh yeah i'll do this i'll do this but that sort of uh, world weariness that she kind of portrayed the the uh, director loved. Yeah, that, that is interesting. That's exactly <laughs> said, how that's she is. Perfect. That's Lola Lola. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we get into the synopsis a little bit here on this? I'm looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, the Blue Angel from 1930. The film opens on a on a town getting itself ready for the day. Uh, including, I love the the woman cleaning the window, raising the shade, cleaning the window, and the, <laughs> the, the big poster of Lola Lola, and like the she sort of mimics the pose that's yes. in the poster. <laughs> <laughs> also getting ready is Professor Wraith, and uh, the woman I, was it the same woman that was cleaning the window was someone different. Do you, I couldn't tell. I didn't think to notice. <laughs> I, I think it may have been the same woman. It may be someone different. There's a woman that looks like just sort of like a housekeeper sort of mm -hmm. thing. She comes in and starts, you know, sets out as some breakfast. She obviously cleans for the apartment or sets out as breakfast. The professor begins to pour some tea or coffee, maybe it was. Always hard to tell when you're uh, these uh, European films. <laughs> you know, are they drinking tea or are they drinking coffee? I'm going to go with coffee because he does pour cream in it. Yeah. <laughs> well, some people take milk with their tea, but we'll go yeah, with that's coffee. That's true. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with coffee. He whistles a couple times over to a bird cage, but he gets no response. Upon investigating, he finds the bird's dead. He looks a little bit like he's not quite sure what or why or how this could possibly be. He shows the bird to the housekeeper, who takes it and very nonchalantly throws it into the stove. <laughs> I felt so sorry for him. I thought, oh, it's like his, his pet. And then yeah. she's just like so practical about it. She's like, oh, it's dead. Okay, just chuck it in the stove. And he's like, oh, oh. what do I do now? Oh, <laughs> poor guy. Well, Rafe sits down and finishes his meal. And we next find ourselves at a school. While one boy diligently cleans the chalkboard, all the others crowd around to see an advertisement, a little postcard for a local cabaret show, and in particular, Lola Lola. And this card is brilliant. I would love <laughs> to have this card because it has her, and it, instead of like a dress, it's like feathers glued mm -hmm. to the card, and you have to little blow on it slightly to blow up the feathers to see her legs. <laughs> That is, it's just it's just a brilliant little piece of advertisement. Absolutely, there. I have to think that things like this really existed too. Oh, Obviously, absolutely, we've moved on at this point to a little <laughs> bit more technological kind of thing. But absolutely, this the, you know it's it's basically a French postcard. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think yeah, today would probably maybe be like the lenticular where you you know. <laughs> 
you turn it and you see different pictures. <laughs> One of the young men who were looking at the card uh, leaves the crowd and he sneaks uh, the notebook off the teacher's desk and starts drawing a, a less than flattering cartoon of Professor, Professor Wraith. Wraith arrives at the classroom and he very precisely sets his book down and uh, you know gets his pencils in exactly the right position and blows his nose. <laughs> As he opens the notebook, he spots the cartoon. Scanning the class, he spots the boy who was washing the board looking very nervous. And he has him come up and erase the drawing. So I'm not sure, did he really think that poor guy is the one that did the drawing? Everyone no. else was kind of like looking <laughs> off into the window. Like pretending not to notice. I think yeah, he exactly. knows. I think, I think he knows that it wasn't him because obviously like this is the boy that cleans the chalkboards. He knows this is the kid that's going to, you know, try really hard. Right. Yeah. I think later on we find out that this boy is like his best student. So obviously it wasn't him, but. Well, the professor begins class with uh, getting someone to quote some Shakespeare, uh, Hamlet's to be or not to be soliloquy, I guess. Is that that be considered? Yeah. Yeah, Soliloquy. Mm -hmm. The young man tries to give it a go, but Wraith is not happy with it. (laughs) not to be to be uh, not to be that is the right wrong you are evidently dissatisfied with the accepted pronunciation of the word the 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 I love the little gag with the, he's trying to get him to pronounce the correctly. And he keeps saying the, z, (laughs) the, z. But at the one, but at the point where the professor says the, and you see the kid wipe the little spit off his face and then he tries it. And then the professor has to wipe a little spit off it. And then he gets quieter again. Yeah. I love that. He's like yelling at him and they spit at each other. They're like, okay. (laughs) Shh. Well, still less than pleased with uh, the boy, he orders the class to write the word THE 200 times. <laughs> Wraith walks around the class and as they write, and he spots one of them playing with the postcard. Wraith snatches it from the boy and confiscates the card. Later on the way out of the building, two boys... Uh, hide behind the door and purposely trip the poor poor angst i think is his name yes the, young, it the is. very good the very good lad angst um they purposely trip him he falls right behind wraith and amongst his strewn books and papers are more postcards of lola lola wraith takes uh, angst back to his apartment for a stern talking to and discover exactly where these postcards were coming from angst insists that they're not his. Someone must have put them there. And uh, I'm going to play a little clip here just so everyone can hear the very horribly clipped English that <laughs> Angst has to spit out. You too, my best pupil. Now, professor. Quiet. Look at me. Where did you get these postcards? Ich, ich weiß nicht. English sprechen. And don't lie to me. 
Where did you get these postcards? Someone must have put them in my books. So, so, and you want me to believe that? They all do not like me because I do not go along with them at night. At night? Do not go where at night? The others go every night to the blue angel. Well, Wraith dismisses the boy and examines the cards again, and he even goes ahead and gives the one with the feathers a few puffs. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The first time he does, he, like, stops and he looks over both shoulders, like, is anybody <laughs> looking? <laughs> Anyone seeing this? <laughs> well, welcome to the blue angel. Lola Lola is on stage, and we see a bit of her performance. We see Wraith winding his way through the streets, and then we see that Lola is backstage getting ready for her next act, while several of the boys from the school watch. During Lola's next act, Wraith actually finds his way to the Blue Angel, and a couple of the boys spot him and try to hide. <laughs> As Wraith looks through the crowd, Lola swings a spotlight on him, meaning that he's like the only one standing and up. And he's like yelling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the third boy from class spots him then when he's in the spot and makes a dash for it. <laughs> Wraith sees him and then gives chase. The boy and uh, the, the wraith sh- ends up in Lola's dressing room uh, when she comes in after her act. Well, how did you like my bedroom? Sie sind also die uh, Künstlerin Lola Lola. Sorry, but you'll have to talk my language. What? Uh, you are the actress Lola Lola? Police official, huh? Was erlauben Sie sich? My, my name is uh, Emanuel Rath, professor of the local school. And you ought to know enough to take off your hat. Well, are you still here? I must ask you to stop entertaining the boys of my class. Sure, I have nothing else to do. I love something interesting about this room, and I think it happens a few different times, where uh, somebody will open the door and you can hear outside, and then oh, they close yeah. the door and it stops. Yes, <laughs> and I thought, it is this the is most the most, most incredibly soundproof door in the ever. world. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting, and, and you know, it really, really bothered me. But now understanding where this is in the chronology of German talkies, oh, okay, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Lola goes behind a uh, changing screen to, to change, <laughs> but, but finds one of the boys hiding there. She steps back out and starts to undress in front of Wraith. He is uh, fairly shocked and tries to avert his eyes, <laughs> but he doesn't try real hard. <laughs> Lola asks, you can't really blame the boys, can you? As she pulls off her <laughs> stockings. <laughs> A few of the other showgirls come through, uh, one seemingly admonishing him in German. <laughs> Wraith says that as a man of honor, he should leave. He's compromising Lola. Well, Lola tells him that as long as he behaves, he can stay. <laughs> and then she uh, heads up a, a spiral staircase and then drops her underwear on his head. <laughs> as he is holding the bloomers in shock, Another uh, woman, an older showgirl, comes in, takes them from him, and gives him a good finger wag. <laughs> <laughs> she drops the underwear on her way out uh, uh, on the floor, and it happens to be by the uh, changing screen. And the boy who was behind it quickly snatches them up. 
Wraith sits down at Lola's makeup table, and the student quietly puts the underwear in Wraith's coat pocket. <laughs> Lola Me- comes down. Meanwhile, huh? a guy comes in and leads a bear through the room. <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> so we see a clown go through, and then we see a guy bringing a bear through. It's the clown <laughs> is the weird, the weirdest thing because it, it's the you know the sad clown. He doesn't say a word through the yes. whole thing. He's almost more like you know French impressionist clown. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lola comes down after after having changed, and as she is finishing up her outfit, the boss of the show, who also I, I, I keep having him as the boss. He's also the magician. But yes. I, I get the impression he kind of runs the show. He is. Yeah, they call him, I think, the director, and then he's mm-hmm. also the, the magician. Very good. So when you know when I when I say the boss, that's who I'm talking about. Cause that's <laughs> what I've got in my notes. Well, he comes in and seems in awe of an actual professor, a man of learning that is taking an interest in his show. And the boss yells at Lola, why didn't you call me? To which she replies, call you what? <laughs> <laughs> There's some really great little bit of dialogue in here. Well, he orders, orders her out for her next show. After she leaves, the boss uh, compliments Wraith on his obvious taste in women. Wraith protests and tells him he was only here to find his students. Uh, which he does uh, when he finds one of them as he backs into the screen and <laughs> practically steps on the man hiding there. Wraith chases the boy out into an alley. He apparently never catches up with him because uh, Wraith returns to his apartment exhausted. <laughs> he sits down and wipes his brow. And it turns out he, what he's wiping his brow with is Lola's bloomers. <laughs> <laughs> The next morning, Wraith prepares for the day and discovers his hat is missing, having left it somewhere at the Blue Angel. There's a, there's a bit in here that makes me glad I never went to a private boys' school because mm. after all the boys sneak back in, and uh, I, either before or after we see the professor you know, wiping his brow, then you see a couple of the boys sneak up to the, the best student, Angst, Angst, and they turn him over in his bed and they spank him. It's... <laughs> yes. It must be a thing, but I, I, I never went to private school, so you know maybe some of you guys out there uh, can educate me on it. If this is a normal thing for people to do to students they don't like, yeah, whether it's normal, I don't know. Whether it happens, probably. Yeah. Uh, once he gets to school, Wraith uh, remarkably says nothing of last night's exploits to any of the students. He just pretty much goes about the day. That night at the Blue Angel, the students are back with Lola. One of them spots Wraith coming down the street, and the club boss blocks them from their exit, from, from the room, and instead directs them to a hidden cellar door in the floor. Wraith enters, and Lola greets him. I knew you'd come back. They always come back to me. I, uh, I only came to exchange... Uh, uh, I forgot my hat. Uh, I must have been confused. And you didn't come on my account. How do you like my eyes? You don't like them, huh? We are doch uh, uh, beautiful. Your temper seems to have improved since yesterday. I'm afraid I was a little uh, excited. You might have scared me to death. Lola sits Wraith down and goes about putting on her makeup. 
At one point, she offers him a pack of cigarettes, which he probably drops under the table. He goes under the table to clean them up and musses up his hair pretty good as he comes up (laughs) on the bottom of the table. Lolo uses her brush to kind of straighten him up a bit. She has him hold her... uh, What kind of powder was that, Lydia? I'm not a makeup person. (laughs) It's just face powder to keep your nose from getting too shiny. Okay. (laughs) It's loose powder. Very loose powder. She has him hold it, and uh, she leans over and tells Wraith that he is not a bad-looking man. And uh, I know this film's black and white, but I swear you could see him blush. (laughs) (laughs) He does that real kind of childish, aw shucks kind of uh, look really well. (laughs) Yes. And while he is doing his aw shucks, uh, she leans in and blows into the powder, which creates a huge (laughs) cloud of makeup and about chokes him poor professor to death. She gently pats him down brushes and blows the makeup off of him the whole time doing the oh poor baby (laughs) (laughs) the club boss comes in and tells lola that a very important patron is outside for lola the man comes in and i I take it he was some sort of ship captain or something Mm -hmm. the the blue angel is on the either on on the seaside or riverside it's it's near the docks i guess (laughs) in the seedy part of town and it, yeah, a very seedy part of town. This guy offers, I think, what it was, a small pineapple from his cargo <laughs> to Lola. Yes. Lola tells him to leave her alone, but he isn't the type to accept no for an answer. Well, Wraith pushes the man aside and berates him. And in anger at the way the man has treated, Lola throws him out of the room. The boss starts to complain to Wraith about doing this, so Wraith boxes the boss's ears as well. Lola actually seems quite taken with Wraith and the way he's he's standing up for her. He insists he was only doing his duty. (laughs) And she thanks him anyway, and the two toast with some champagne. Champagne brought by the uh, the guy they just threw out, by the way. Yes. (laughs) Well, outside, Captain Blowhard is making a scene at how he was treated. And this gets the attention of a police officer that had had been uh, wandering by. The club boss, the magician there, spots the officer and warns the professor. Lola and the boss decide it best he hides, so they put him in the cellar as well. (laughs) Who else? I hope they're getting along down there. Swear chains. The officer, followed by the uh, rude rotund one, uh, come into the dressing room. And the boss and Lola kind of feign ignorance. Well, no, no one hit anyone. Don't know what you're talking about. The officer starts to have a look around when uh, you can hear yelling coming from the floor. <laughs> Wraith drags the students out of the cellar. I mean, literally dragging literally. them by their, co- <laughs> by, by their coats. The captain tells the officer that Wraith is the one that hit him. A lot of this is in German at this point. They didn't even bother trying to do the yeah. English. It, it appears that Wraith admits that he did. But seeing as he's a, a much more upstanding citizen, uh, the officer actually... Uh, takes the belligerent oaf out of the room instead and throws him out of the club. So it pays to be a professor. Yeah, it does. Well, and it seems like the, the officer recognizes him as being the local school teacher. Maybe. I definitely get the impression he's a man of standing and must be known in the better parts of town. Yes. You know, a, a very upstanding person. So his word, if he, if this is, if this man has been driven to hitting somebody, the other guy <laughs> deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, meanwhile, Wraith scolds the students, even smacking a cigarette out of the mouth of the one who refuses to take it out himself. 
He orders the boys out, and they run off. The older uh, showgirl praises Wraith and offers him her beer. <laughs> and as he's drinking it down, one of the boys whistles through the open window at him, surprising him. Uh, <laughs> I love his, his he's jumping the beer flinging across yes. the room. <laughs> well, that's a sharp whistle. <laughs> oh, it was. It almost scared me when I first heard it. Uh, Wraith yells at the boys as they as they run off and gets angry to the point that he actually has some sort of a bit of an attack, some pain in his side or uh, actually it looked like his heart. Mm-hmm. Everyone in the room there, they help him to a seat and calm him down and soon he claims that he feels better. The bell signaling the next showtime goes off, and the stage manager comes in to see if the show is going on or not. Of course, the show must go on, and Lola invites Professor to watch the show. The boss pours Wraith a drink and tells him that there's no hard feelings, and he leads Wraith out to watch Lola. The song she sings here, she actually, this becomes kind of like her signature song for uh, Marlena Dietrich. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the song. She she recorded this song actually for for records, and this was one of the songs that she would perform, you know, dozens and dozens of times throughout her career. Mm-hmm. So, and it, this is this is where it gets its start. So it's another one of these things, just like the the one we were talking about with the, uh, the Jimmy Stewart. Uh, yes. It should be noted that while she's singing this song, it, she seems to be singing it directly at Professor Wraith. <laughs> yes. And this truly melts the professor's heart. <laughs> <laughs> and I love this part, too. It's it's random. And it, again, it's kind of one of those weird things where teachers don't get this kind of respect today. <laughs> but no. the, the director actually takes him and takes him up onto a balcony and then stops the show in the middle of the song to say, we have a special guest with us. This is the professor from the local school. And everybody applauds. And then they go right. back and do the song again. It's just a uh, <laughs> very remarkable treatment. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I think it's just the fact that this is an, a, a man of good standing. Mm-hmm. In know, this sleazy bar. In this sleazy bar. <laughs> Where literally you can see straight through her dress at one point. She mm-hmm. turns around during that and everybody cheers, but the camera moves away. So we're left to imagine what she's wearing be- beneath it, if anything. And then, of yeah. course, she comes out in bloomers with the skirt literally hitched up by wire so that you can just see your bloomers. That's the kind of very classy show this is. <laughs> exactly. And before we get away, because this is one of the last times we actually get to see the show, how interesting is it, you know, whoever is like performing stands out and does their song or dance or whatever. The rest of the time, there's just these women that just sort of sit in the back and drink. Yes, and show off their legs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was so bizarre. 
And even uh, during her falling in love again, you know, she gets the one girl, like, literally kicks her out. L- yes. Her the, oh, she gives her the look of death. Yeah, get out <laughs> of know, my seat. <laughs> <laughs> so she could sit there and see the professor better. Uh, but I love, I just love the women that just sat there and drink beer. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's what they do. <laughs> well, the next morning, we find that the professor has ne- never returned to his apartment. He spent the night at Lola's. <laughs> it's worth mentioning he's being plied with drinks the whole time he's watching the show. That's true. true. <laughs> and before. Wraith awakes a bit dazed. Uh, and Lo- with Lola fixing him some breakfast, and she's acting very familiar with him, yes. calling him Emmanuel and darling. <laughs> Do you always know, sweetheart? I think I drank a little a bit too much last night. Say, I wish I had your capacity. One. My, my. Sugar daddy. Good? Marvelous. See? You could have this every day. Why not? I'm still a bachelor. While he's enjoying this coffee in the distance, we hear the clock tower chiming. Wraith is late for class. This is an this is an interesting clock. I actually looked to see if I could find it. I didn't know anything about it, so I didn't look super hard. But it shows like all of these characters going around. It's almost like the Millennium Clock, and uh, you know, as it as it chimes, I think there are twelve figures that go by, and one of them is like a guy with a pointy beard reading a book, just like the professor. And it kind of <laughs> follows him around. And then, you know, it shows some other funny ones and one at the very end playing music. But it shows this a couple times in this movie. What well, school, the boys are having fun on the chalkboard. Drawing the professor is sort of a love-struck cherub, uh, among other unsavory images. <laughs> I like there's a part in this where one of the boys is drawing, and he's kind of standing in front of the drawing right about where he's covering any important bits. And he stops, and he looks at it, and he erases whatever you can't uh-huh. see. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I kind of really wondered what we were going to see on that drawing. I think, ah, he changed his mind at the last minute. <laughs> Strategically hit in drawings. <laughs> the professor makes it to class and discovers the drawings. As he goes about to erase them, the class erupts in a raucous uh, song and cheers. And this draws the attention of the headmaster. And all the other teachers as well. Oh, yeah, that's true. They all kind of assemble out in the hall like, what in the world is yeah. going on? <laughs> the headmaster dismisses the class and looks around at the, all the drawings. And then he actually fires Professor Wraith on the spot. Yeah. So he, you know, he goes over to him and he looks at him and then he takes the flower out of uh, the professor's lapel and -hmm. looks at it. (laughs) And then he says, you've given me no choice. And I thought, well, uh... how about an explanation? (laughs) Uh, Anything? Well, (laughs) we'll talk (laughs) about lack of explanation in these situations (laughs) later. But... (laughs) But yeah, he doesn't say, like, it's not as if he was in there, like, yelling or anything weird like that. I suppose just because he let his class get so out of control, the headmaster's like, oh, that's it, you're fired. Yeah, whatever whatever you've done, your class no longer respects you, and you have no control over them, (laughs) so what good are you to me? Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, Wraith quietly cleans out his desk and gives his classroom a last solemn look. And then sits it's down at his desk. Sad scene. It yes, is. It's a very sad scene, and that it and is. it just fades and it just fades and fades to black before the next scene right there. And it's it's like oh, poor yeah. guy. Yeah. Later, Wraith returns to the Blue Angel with flowers for Lola, and he finds everyone packing up. Wraith nervously gives Lola a ring, and asks her to marry him. Don't be sad. I'll be back next year. Dear Miss Lola, will you permit me to offer this to And may I also ask you to be my wife. Wife? Yeah. <laughs> 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 you are so sweet. So this scene was so strange to me. So she just starts like laughing, and then I, he, you know, he says this is a really important moment. And then the next scene was confusing. I actually couldn't tell if it really happened or if he was imagining it, like daydreaming. Mm. <laughs> no, I think it, this really happened. Lola and the professor get married. And and they have like this, everybody's toasting to him and they're all mm-hmm. like happy. And, and, and it was just weird. It was so sudden that I seriously was sitting there watching, watching, wondering, okay, now are we going to fade back to them standing in the room and her saying no, but they don't. It actually does happen. Ladies and gentlemen, I will permit myself. Can't you be quiet for just five minutes? Now the tears are going to be turned on. It's all so beautiful. Exactly like my own wedding. If I had only known you then instead of this magician, perhaps I'd be for our professor instead of... That's about enough out of you. Now he's going to start in again. Sit down and shut up. All your railing won't prevent me from giving the professor a demonstration of my art. So the magician there gets a chance to show off his, his trick and proceeds to pull a couple of eggs from the professor's nose. Lola begins making kind of clucking chicken noises at him. And this was <laughs> this was part of why I kept going, is this really happening? <laughs> it's so bizarre. She seriously starts clucking like a chicken at him. And I thought, mm-hmm. maybe he's going to wake up in a farmyard. <laughs> and then he starts cawing like a rooster. What's the word? <laughs> yep. No, that's it. I, I had like crowing like a rooster. Crowing. So, yeah. yeah. And, and it's like... They're super happy, and you can see how happy they are, but I just kept expecting it not to be real, but it is. Mm -hmm. It is. Later that night, as Lola is undressing, she asks Wraith to bring her her suitcase. As he does so, it opens and spills onto the floor. Amongst the other things are dozens of her sexy postcards. (laughs) Wraith tells her that so long as he has a penny, those postcards will not be sold. Well, the professor's money apparently doesn't last too terribly long, and we actually see him trying to sell some of the cards to the crowd. He's moved along with the rest of the troop to a new location, and you know apparently I, there's no telling how much time has passed at this point, mm-hmm. um, but obviously some time has passed, and he's actually now selling these cards during one of Lola's performances. 
And he looks so rough. He does. He's looking a little rougher than than we've seen him. But he's still in his suit, but uh, his hair and beard a little bit more disheveled. Postcards. Cheap crowd. Cheap crowd. He's got that. Let him better take a shave. Look at him, look. We're not in school. You can't blame him. You might get yourself cleaned up. Anyway, you have no cause to call the house a cheap crowd. They give us a living? Yeah, living. A fine living. If you don't like it, you can go. Yeah, I can go. I can go. I'm through. I know I'm through. I can't stand it anymore. So Wraith storms out, but quickly returns, and he helps Lola get ready. We see through the classic calendar trope that several years pass. And when we next see Wraith, he's at the makeup table applying clown makeup to himself. The magician comes in, and we find out through him that Wraith's clown act has actually become a little bit of, a, of an attraction. And that they, in fact, have been invited to return to the Blue Angel. And honestly, it's kind of where I want to stop it. Because mm-hmm. the film makes a big shift here. This is actually about the hour and 15 minute or so. And there's another 20 plus minutes to go. Maybe as much as a half an hour. But the movie takes a shift. And it's just, I don't want to give it away, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's... This has been a real enjoyable film up to this point, and it's not that it's not enjoyable or interesting to watch. It's just a very different movie from here on in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> first of all, I have to say, for the undertaking, okay, we're going to make our first sound picture, and we're going to do it in English, too. <laughs> uh, quite the undertaking for the producers of this film. Definitely. I actually was managed to get a, uh, there, I think it was a Kino home video put out a two-disc set of this film with the English and German language. Oh, interesting. Yes, and I actually was able to I was actually able to obtain a copy through the library and I have not had a chance to it came too late and I wasn't ah. able to watch the German <laughs> version. Uh but I'm really interested to watch the German version and see everybody and how they perform without having to try to struggle with English. Yeah, if it's any <laughs> different or significantly yeah. different. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. I want to see how different it is. I'm sure it's got to be different. I'm sure what we're seeing is kind of maybe slightly abridged with the English version. So I'm very curious to see what it's like in the German version. So I will I will let you know, Lydia, when I get a chance to watch it. So what did you think overall of this film? Well, it's interesting. So uh, a, a couple of things, you're going to laugh. Like the the first thing that really grabbed me and like really like kind of surprised me is the scene at the beginning where the professor has them all writing the 200 times Mm -hmm. and they're all dipping their quills. 
I mean, yeah, they're sure. using inkwells. So I had to look it up because, you know. <laughs> and it turns out that fountain pens existed when this movie came out, but ballpoint pens didn't even exist in 1930. Uh, they weren't patented until 1938. So it just oh, it was wow. so weird to see a movie that wasn't in a, like, a period movie. It is actually uh, contemporary with the time of the filming, and everybody's using inkwells. It really blew my mind. So it was interesting. That really told me a lot about the era that we were in. Um, so I know that has nothing to do with the film at all, but but it is a little bit of an interesting tidbit, just so you guys know, ballpoint pens didn't exist when this movie was made. <laughs> <laughs> the most popular writing utensil now didn't even exist. Um, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it was crazy. And then, um, hold on, totally forgot the other thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and then uh, I looked up the book that this was based on. And oh, yeah, and I didn't read the whole thing. I kind of skimmed through a little bit. Uh, it's called Professor Unrat. The guy's name is different in it. Or The End of a Tyrant is the other part of the title. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so you can go on Gutenberg. You can have it. Uh, my computer will automatically translate for me. It's in German, but you can have it translated, obviously. And um, it is a dark book. <laughs> wow. Um, it basically, like, the showgirl is really unhappy. Like, they do I, They do end up together. But uh, some of the events that transpire uh, at the end are very, um, I, I think, actually ends up with him getting trucked away by the police for killing somebody. Uh, it's, um, it, it's a very dark and depressing. So uh, it was just interesting that this, you know, especially the first part of this movie is so funny. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of humor going on in it. And it's based off of this incredibly dark story. So um, I guess maybe, I, I don't know, maybe it's a German thing. But, <laughs> I, you know, they say that, you know, like the Irish, the, their, uh, all their songs are, all their wars are merry and all their songs are sad. It's Maybe it's the same <laughs> thing with Germans, you know. They're like, well, this is a depressing book, so we're going to start this movie off funny. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's interesting. It is a really, and it starts, the book starts off depressing. The guy's name basically means trash. And mm-hmm. so they all, you know, all the boys at the school make fun of him and he's grown up with it his whole life. And he, I guess it's made him into a tyrant. So it's uh, it just the how it went from the book to the screen would be an interesting story, I think. And how well, it got sure. because the guy, the first credit for the writing of it is actually the author of the book. So mm-hmm. it would be interesting to see how much he was involved in it and all of that. Which probably none, but if today's standards are anything to go by. But um, as far as I think you actually asked me, what did you think of the story? And um, (laughs) I have to think carefully because I don't want to give anything away. Mm -hmm. Um, It's there after you've watched it the first time and you go back and watch it again, it reads differently. So. Um, there, there are some song lyrics that stand out a lot more the second time. And, um, and it's just, I, I don't want to give a lot away. So right. okay. it's kind of one of those movies that I wasn't super thrilled with it. 
I think I can really? say that. Interesting. Yeah, I think it, it, it's kind of one of those that I think that you could go back and in a psychology class, you could mm-hmm. just nitpick this thing and have some really phenomenal discussions. Um, you know, you have this really serious guy that, you know, falls for a showgirl and then she marries him. Why does she marry him? It's such a <laughs> mismatch. And then he goes from, you know, being this really respected person. The day he loses his job, he proposes to her, apparently. I, I assume it doesn't differentiate. That's the impression I got. Yeah. And she says yes. <laughs> and they're like almost immediately out of money. So there's, this is not like, a cheerful like this situation is not cheerful <laughs> no so you know you start yeah, off- I, I saw this film actually listed as a is a tragic comedy yes and that's it, very apt i don't want to give anyone is. the impression that this whole thing is all fun and games with the entire film which is what i expected it, and yeah, so it, when it, it is changed, a tragedy yeah. <laughs> i was very surprised and i actually it was funny because up until then i kind of was like okay you know this is interesting and it's kind of funny but it's in a different language some of it i'm sure it would be funnier if i spoke the language um you know the stuff in english is funny but i'm sure there's more to it that i'm not getting and right. then it turns, and I was like, I, I couldn't stop watching. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was like, what? For pretty much from the moment that he proposes on, I just was like, wait, what's going to happen next? Because holy crap, you know, he actually proposed, and she actually said yes. What? <laughs> <laughs> so, which sounds mean, but it's just, um, it's a real mismatched couple. So, uh, and you know, then there are things that happen later on that kind of. I think you could make arguments for her being in cahoots with the students at some point. And I think you could get really, I think you could get really dark with it if you wanted to. Um, There's nothing to indicate that, but I was thinking, oh, you know, that could have been, or, you know, hey, if I had been writing it, I would have done that. But Mm -hmm. um, it it is, it's not a happy movie. It is a tragedy. (laughs) And so it's kind of, it's one of those, I know I won't encourage my dad to watch because he doesn't like tragedies. (laughs) Right. So, Dad, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, it uh, definitely sets yeah. you up. It, it kind of br- takes you really high, and then you just have that much filler to fall. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because he, he is a comic character. There are yeah. definitely funny things about it. You know, he definitely plays the straight character through the whole thing. But the things that happen to him are really funny. And then all of a sudden, the things that are happening to him aren't funny at all. When I first watched the film, the first time I watched the film, you know, it it's a little, you have to sit there and you're kind of concentrating just because there's so much that's in bad English or clipped English. <laughs> and then it goes to German and you're trying to kind of take it all in. And it takes you a while to let your, um, it was actually the second time of watching the film. I really enjoyed the first part of the film. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, Knowing what was going to happen, I was like, <laughs> but I'm not that interested in continuing. It kind of, I got to the point where I wanted to end my synopsis and I was like, I really don't want to watch the rest of the film. <laughs> <laughs> um, I left it running while I started doing some other notes here on the computer and just had it running in the background. And then there, there was moments and I would let, kind of look over and I'd see what was going on. And it's like, God, that is sad. Yeah. Well, and it <laughs> um, is, it, it is interesting. It, it by no means do I want it to come across as if it's not, 
interesting to watch. There's the, right, he yeah. in, in particular, the actor in this, um, Emil Jan- Jannings or Yannings, uh, he is a well-known actor at this time and he continues to be a well-known actor in Germany and he is a, a phenomenal actor. And there are, uh, there are parts in it where he's in the clown makeup and acting and you just feel everything mm-hmm. he's feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, and I, you know, you really want this character to succeed, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's weird. It's, it's, it's so hard to talk about without being able to say what happens. Yeah, I know. I know. And I feel like by not doing that, I though, I feel like we're kind of like, almost recommending people don't watch it, you know, because, because we're kind of making it, oh, well, that's a real downer. Yeah, you know, and that's why I wanted to say it's not as if it's not worth watching, but don't right. expect to walk away feeling like you just finished The Goonies. It's not the right. same. Yes. <laughs> no, this film was made, and the, the, the actors, the, the story, it was made to elicit an emotion from you. And it does. Like you were saying, you feel everything that these people feel. It's just a phenomenal job as far as acting, especially when you think that they had to do these scenes at least twice Mm -hmm. and at least one time not in their native tongue Mm -hmm. and to still be able to elicit that kind of emotion out of that role Mm -hmm. and pull you in like that. It's astonishing. Yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah, and one of the things that took me, and I think it was, it's because this is the first sound picture for Germany. So everyone going at it, the actors, the producers, the camera people, the director, are all coming out of the silent era. You could honestly watch this film in German without subtitles or watch this film without any audio at all, and you would know exactly what is going on yeah, through the, is, the entire film. That is it true. It makes it... So in that kind of regard it's it kind of adds to this like this just how kind of amazing i kind of think this picture is mm-hmm. and yeah. a lot of that and a lot of that goes into i think i probably rate it a little higher than i would on different circumstances mm. um i still wouldn't go hugely high it's not a film <laughs> for everybody Right. I mean, this is not a film that you would just go, "Oh, you've got to see this." Oh, yeah. Let's not let's not put this on when the kids are in the room. Not because yeah. there's anything horrible <laughs> in it, but because they're not going to be caught by it. It's they're not right. going to find it interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, this is. I feel like this is one of these films that to recommend it, you also have to like. Uh, well, if you're a you know, yes, if you're a fan of German cinema, yeah. if you are a fan of early talkies, if you are a student of film, you if know, you can uh, watch a tragedy and still appreciate it for the art and the story, yeah, yes, absolutely. exactly. Um, so yeah, it is not for everybody. I mean, if I had to like put a number on it, which I guess we kind of do, <laughs> kind of, that's yeah, why we're here, you know, um, I think a solid three, and I would be willing to go even three and a half. But a lot of it comes from me just thinking, as someone that just appreciates what they did and how good that this film could be in any language, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it just it, it, it impressed me. Even mm-hmm. if it did, it, and it made me feel, and it made me feel sad. It made yeah. me feel happy. It made me laugh. I mean, it did exactly what it was trying to do. And mm-hmm. I mean, really, you you can't ask for more. I don't think. 
And it, you know, we've mentioned it before, as we talk about movies, our opinions about them change. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, going in, I was thinking, okay, where do I want to rate this? And I thought, you know, I, I think I'd be okay with a two. I think that's fair. But knowing a little bit more about it and then, you know, talking about the, the, the reason it would rate so low for me is a couple of sound issues. But now knowing that this is the first German talkie, those almost go away. Not entirely, but almost. And then um, the sudden flip, you know, as the movie progresses, really, right. I really struggled with that. So, um, uh, however, I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking if I want to change my mind about that. Um I I feel like if it's a movie, it, it, or if you're a person that enjoys early cinema, this is an important movie to watch because of where it is in the in German film. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as in that said, this could have been a really shallow, um, kind of flippant early talkie, and it's not. So from the perspective that it does give real emotion and you really do become involved with this character. I think three is actually much more. I think that's very fair. Um, Mm -hmm. I can't, I wouldn't give it higher than that because, um, I, I could probably be talked into higher than that, but I I think I'm realistically, I think three is, is right there. It doesn't do anything super phenomenal aside from it being a talkie Mm -hmm. except for, the emotion that the characters give near the end. And for that, it probably is worth a three. Yep. Absolutely. Good. I, yeah. I think I was uh, right along with you where the, after the first time I watched it, I'm going, yeah, maybe a two, two and a half. <laughs> yeah. It, it wasn't until I was watching it the second time that I could kind of concentrate less and just sort of um, Embrace it a little bit more mm-hmm. because I didn't have to like concentrate on figuring out what everyone was trying what to was say. I already on. did that, right? Exactly. Well, and I feel um, like I would rate it higher if it was either straight a comedy or straight a tragedy. Um, but because mm, it tricks you, you go into it really thinking it's going to be funny all the way through, and then all of a sudden, it it really is a completely different movie. All of a sudden, um, that that I struggle with that. If it had been like an actual tragedy all the way through, then I could have gotten into the genre and really gotten sucked into the story, but it made it hard for me from that perspective. Yeah. I I will admit that as quickly and as hard as it falls and, you know, kind of takes you down in the end, it's a bit of a sucker punch. Yes, (laughs) it is. It really is. And that's exact. That's the perfect word for it. Cause you are going along and things are funny and things are going great. And then, and it even does that thing where in romantic comedies, things get tough for them, but you expect them to bounce back. Yeah, and that's when they really punch you in the gut. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. Even reading the synopsis, I you know, you read the synopsis and it's yes. all about oh, and how he uh, how he goes from this high standing and then falls down to his lows, and it's like okay, and you expect you kind of expect that to be gradual throughout the film. Yeah, well, and then IMDb says an quote: "An elderly professor's ordered life spins dangerously out of control when he falls for a nightclub singer." Now, no, no, no that's not what happens. <laughs> it, it doesn't spin dangerously out of control. It goes off the rails. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a little misleading too. But. Yeah, I don't think any of the synopsises really do it justice. Well, and yeah, they're trying just, not to give away the end, right? But it, yeah, it I also kind of leaves you. There, it leaves a gap. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
even reading the synopsis, you expect it to be oh, kind of a kind of a sad, or maybe you, you expect it to be this tragedy. But then it sort of lulls you into this false sense of security yes. with all this humor yes. and this lightheartedness and this <laughs> yes. and the and this kind of you know the racy lounge act kind of thing. And yes. like, oh, isn't that nice? Oh, that's a nice one. Oh my god! <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> it's like watching a bird on like a telephone wire, and then somebody shoots it. <laughs> Like, what the heck? Like, what the heck? Who would do that? <laughs> so, so all that to say, it is worth seeing, if for no other reason than to make your own opinion about it. Um, absolutely, absolutely. It's such a gr- it's such a great movie to have an opinion about. There are movies <laughs> yes. out there where it's like, oh, we just all agree, and this is one where it's like, you could either really love this movie or really hate it, or walk away with a huge question mark. So it's it's probably worth it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm still I'm thrilled that we watched it. Um just because of like I was saying or like you were saying, I were both saying just how important it is and where it falls into in the film history mm-hmm. and how interesting that that, you know, the what came before and what comes after and this this film solidly sits right on that line where yes. it could be either one. And that just makes it just incredibly interesting to me. And uh, it almost makes me want to just go back. It's like, okay, I want to try that. I, I kind of wish I could have watched this without knowing what was, without seeing it with sound and, and see it without sound and then watch it with sound and yeah. see, okay, did, did I, did I truly understand what was happening? Yeah. Uh, that's, that would be interesting. Yeah. So if anyone really wants to go out and do this, <laughs> go ahead and do that. Just don't put your headphones in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and watch the film and then uh, then go back and actually listen to it and see what you think. <laughs> All right. Well, Joe, a good solid threes from both of us. Do you have anything, any final thoughts before we close us out? I don't. Other than, nope. you know, if you want to look up the history of pens, it's interesting. <laughs> 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 no, I think we covered it all. And, uh, you know, if, if you if you want to, I, I think it's probably an interesting book to read, kind mm. of in the way that Great Expectations is an interesting book to okay. read. <laughs> so if you get if you get interested. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. Lydia, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I always love being asked to come and do this. Yeah, and this was definitely one that I, after watching it, I was like, I can't wait to talk to Lydia and see yes. what she thinks. <laughs> I actually, honestly, I was kind of dreading it because I was kind, I was so unhappy with it at first that I thought, <laughs> oh gosh, what are we even going to talk about? But it's, it always is so much more fun talking to you about it. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you very much and thank you for joining. <laughs> and okay, that's going to do it. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. We will see you in another month. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> <laughs>